From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Ayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WisPolitics.com. He provides a roundup of the Wisconsin developments you need to know. Here's our latest conversation. Hi, J.R. Welcome to Capital Notes. Hey, thanks for having me. Megan Wolf, Wisconsin's top election official who works with the Bipartisan State Elections Commission, has presided over the state's elections since 2018. There's some doubt over whether she'll continue in that role after her appointment is up July 1st. Can you fill us in on the politics behind that? Sure. Um, You know, Republicans spurred by Donald Trump have looked for a number of things, problems with how elections were run or real or perceived, to claim that the election was rigged. Um, I think we've talked before. Uh, I have, in all my, I've read every report uh, on the 2020 election. I've read every lawsuit. I've read every, almost every brief filed. There was no widespread fraud in 2020. You can, though, if you want to, take issue with some administrative decisions that were made. I'm not a lawyer. I can't tell you if the Elections Commission was correct in telling voters or clerks that they should fill in this information on absentee ballot envelopes. That's not something I, you know, I'm not qualified to do that, but that was the policy they put in place. Those are administrative things. They were not, you know, fraud. Okay. That said, Republicans convinced that the election was stolen from Donald Trump are looking to say, look, this was wrong. We don't like this. We've lost confidence in things. And Megan Wolf is one of the targets of that. Megan wrote a letter to local clerks last week saying, hey, um, I it basically said she's interested in serving another term but she's not sure if she'll get one from the Elections Commission. She wrote in that letter, um, I'm not asking you to advocate for me, but please speak truth about what happened in Wisconsin uh, so people know the real deal. And it's going to be interesting to watch if the commission wants to reappoint her. Because remember, this is an appointment subject to Senate confirmation. She was confirmed unanimously four years ago. There are a number of Republicans who said they will not support her if she's resubmitted. It's also interesting to watch what the commission does. The commission is split 3-3 between Democratic and Republican appointees. They have to have a majority to fill the position, all right? If they can't agree and there's no position filled, the law says uh, there's a legislative committee run by Republicans that can fill the position temporarily for a year. Here's the rub. Remember, there's that whole lawsuit about Fred Prane, who was the Wausau dentist on the DNR board, he refused to leave his position on the board until a success was confirmed by the Senate. The Supreme Court ruled about when there's a vacancy in a position and whether a person can stay in that vacant stay in that position until a vacancy actually occurs. There is an argument being made that if the commission cannot appoint somebody else, there is no vacancy. Ergo, Megan can stay in that job going forward. Now, she wrote in letter she hoped that um, they'd you know appoint somebody who could kind of, you know, reach agreement because there's all kinds of stuff about elections being thrown out there in the, you know, Ethernet, about Internet, about what's going on. We need to have confidence in our elections. Who's running them? person who's competent. He said, I've got my experience makes you the best person to run this show uh, going forward, 2024 ahead of us. But there's a lot of moving pieces, and we have to watch and see what the commission does first. If the commission can agree on Megan Wolf and reappoint her, she might be rejected by the Senate. If they take a majority vote to confirm her, it's the Senate's now controlled 22 to 11 by Republicans. 
it might be hard to find a half dozen or so Republicans to support her. Also because it complicates the math. Lena Taylor, a Milwaukee Democrat, doesn't want Megan reappointed. Now, uh, Lena's problem is a 2020 election, which she lost that mayoral race to Tom Barrett. She thinks that somehow the commission was involved in the decision to close down those polling sites and go down to like, I think it was five, the city had or eight, whatever it was in 2020. Um, so you're going from uh, 12 Democrats possibly down to now just 11. So you need to find six Republicans. That, that could be a tall order if she's reappointed by the commission. And if she's rejected, then what do they do? Can they find consensus on somebody else? And if they can't, then Republicans appoint who's going to run the elections going forward. Well, Wisconsin is only 16 months away from a presidential election as of July 1st when they would need a new or a continued appointment. Senate President Chris Kapinga told the AP that there's no way that Wolf will be reconfirmed by the Senate. Do you expect, you know, obviously you can't tell the future exactly what's going to develop procedurally and everything, but would you expect Republicans to try to engineer a new election commissioner that's favorable to the GOP and potentially more of these theories of fraud or conspiracy theories? It just it just depends how it plays out. Like I said, we don't know if even if, if there'll be a vacancy, if Megan continues to serve. And that would not be ideal, people argue, to have an administrator who still serves in that job who's not been confirmed because of this kind of like legal question. There'll probably be a lawsuit. Can you imagine us being the eye of the storm in 2024 and there's a lawsuit pending in the state Supreme Court of Wisconsin about who should be running the show? I mean, I don't even Yikes. giggle about it. It's just like, just you think, what else could happen in Wisconsin <laughs> that we haven't, yes. that nobody else has seen before, right? There are all kinds of what ifs. So I'm just trying to focus now on, okay, what's the commission do? Don Millis is the chair. He's a Republican. They, they pass the chairmanship back and forth. He told me that he expects to have a notice for a meeting to discuss minister's job shortly, probably out this week. Watch that meeting. What's the commission do? Can they agree on somebody? Do they agree on Megan? They want to go somebody else to a national search for a placement. Who knows what they're going to do? They deadlock, which has been their MO for a long time about any big issue. They can't agree on anything. We do know Bob Spindell, a Republican commissioner, has said he will not vote for Megan. He has said that Megan's being blamed for things that weren't her fault, that she carries out the commission's decisions. But because she's lost the confidence of Republicans, he argues, she shouldn't stay in that job because you have to have confidence of both sides to do it. So there's one vote against her right now. What's Don Millis going to do? I, it, big questions about that commission, how it's going to uh, carry itself going forward. And what if there was a 3-3 split? That's what I'm talking about, that possibility of there being no vacancy then. When uh. is there a vacancy in the commissioner's job, right? Or the administrator's job, right? So if they split and they can't appoint somebody new, and they can't remove her, is the job vacant then come July 2nd? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. So she could continue serving indefinitely until a court were to say if there's a there's a vacancy or not. It's really, yeah, there's a lot of, there could be some lawyers making some big bucks off of this one. <laughs> oh, man. Well, another week of action in the legislature. The shared revenue bill passed both houses. It's headed to Governor Tony Evers' desk. That's state aid to local governments, which is much needed for places like Milwaukee, but with a lot of strings attached. It comes along with a school funding bill that gives more money to K-12 through education and also private voucher schools. What can we expect on this going forward? Well, uh, we have the education bill with the voucher payments and the shared revenue passed both houses. They're on the way to the governor's desk for a signature. The 
public education component is in the budget, which is being finalized by the Joint Finance Committee. Ellen had to Evers, so it's kind of like a three-legged stool of this deal. Two of the stools or legs are before the governor or shortly will be before him, and the third one's coming soon. So we expect final passage of the budget the last week of June. It'll be off to the governor and decides if he wants to sign it or not. What do these bills and, you know, the budget as a whole mean for Wisconsin? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of things. In education, you're talking about a boost for K-12 education, about a billion dollars. Um, interestingly enough, Republicans agreed to do about $650 million of that through property taxes. Remember, there are two big pots of money for schools in terms of aids from the state. There's categorical aids, which are not subject to the revenue limits. Then there's uh, general aid, which is the big biggest pot of money. That's a mix of state money and property taxes. You're limited how much you spend per student, and you get an increase some years, some years you don't. But whatever that increase is, and it's 350 bucks per pupil in each of the next two years, um, you get to spend that much. The more state aid you get, the less you raise from property taxes. Republicans agreed to allow a good chunk of that money to come from property taxes. Now, the final note has not been written on your property tax bill just yet. There's still a tax package to come from Republicans. Um, they've been hinting that they're going to have a good-sized tax cut in this document. And to be honest with you, uh, conservatives are really kind of wondering, where is our tax cut? Because they're saying, look, we've seen nothing but spending increases going on so far with this budget. Where is the, the tax cut? And if you're going to allow prop taxes to go up by that much uh, for schools, you have to offset that somehow if you're a conservative to make your base happy. So I'm really fascinated to watch how that discussion plays out. Um, in the coming week for the finance committee, for voucher schools, for so it's, remember it's uh, choice schools, charter schools, and those in the special needs pro- scholarship program. You know they're not increasing the number of slots at those schools; it's only increasing the size of the voucher. But by increasing that voucher, advocates tell me you are going to increase this incentive for these schools to expand. There are a number of schools who will say, "Look, at the current levels, there's no reason for us to add more slots for students because, you know." You can't just like add two kids and build a wing for a school, right? You have to have a certain number of kids, a certain amount of money to do expansions. They're talking about this being transformational for a lot of these schools. They can allow them to do these expand, add more kids. That's going to expand the capacity uh, more than anything else. Uh, there is currently a cap on the statewide program in terms of the percent of kids per school district who can go to a choice school. That cap goes away after the 25-26 school year, I believe. So it'll be interesting to watch how this program grows after that going forward and how many kids get in. Then there's, you know, everything from uh, Republicans not funding child care subsidies like Evers wanted to, to putting $3 billion into Department of Health Services for Medicaid spending, whereas Evers wanted $5 billion more. Uh, there's a host of things this document's going to impact almost every part of your life, really. For people who haven't really been following the voucher school and choice school conversation versus public schools, what do proponents and detractors say about it? Well, one, public school advocates were a little bit disappointed in the uh, voucher increases, saying that, you know, they felt like Evers should have gotten more because they're looking at a $7 billion surplus saying, where, why isn't there more money going in? But I think we've talked before that $7 billion is kind of misleading. It's not ongoing money. It's one-time cash. Um, so you don't have that to spend go, you know, year in and year out. Uh, if you spend all that money right now, you have to have massive growth in future budgets or do massive cuts to balance the books. So they're trying to be kind of um, careful how they use that money. But still, 
for public school advocates, like, look, we should have gotten more out of this thing. And they're a little disappointed in what the governor got. But it's part of a bigger deal, right? It's he got that billion dollars for schools, which is more than they got for Republicans in the past. It's definitely more of a property tax increase uh, or property taxes going into schools than what they got in the past for Republicans. That, so there's that piece plus the voucher piece plus a shared revenue piece, which is a lifeline for Milwaukee. Uh, the county and city are facing dire straits. I believe in 2025 is their fiscal cliff. They are free now at any time once a bill is signed to enact those sales taxes to get them rolling, to start pulling money in to meet their pension obligations. That would take a huge relief off of them now. If you talk to some Milwaukee folks, they'll say it's not going to solve every problem Milwaukee has. They still have challenges financially. Um, there is going to be uh, a boost in the amount of state aid they get each year, both the county and the city. But, they, you know, it's not going to fix everything, but it's going to be a huge lifeline that voids draconian cuts to services and staffing in our state's largest city and county. Well, also last week, the GOP-controlled Joint Finance Committee approved boosting spending to the Department of Health Services by $3.1 billion in state and federal money over the next two years. That's part of the budget um, that the Finance Committee takes up these mini-budgets of each state agency. How did this money allotment wade into the cultural wars? Well, there's a policy, there's a provision put in there to ban using medical assistance money to pay for gender reassignment surgery or transition things, puberty blockers. Um, now, the governor has the strongest or one of the strongest partially to authorities in the country. If you have a bill that includes spending, he can cross out sections much like this. So I haven't seen the language, like the actual bill language yet to see how they did it. It's a good guess. Evers will veto it if he can, and I believe he will be able to, but I'm not a lawyer not a bill drafter by trade, I'm <laughs> just a reporter, but that likely won't survive his veto pen. But, you know, they're laying out a marker. They don't think you should be spending uh, public dollars on these expenses. Um, there wasn't much discussion about it when finance approved that provision, other than Democrats decrying it. And, you know, there's a huge push in the Republican base these days to address these issues. I mean, it's definitely something that's been motivating for voters, uh, talking about transgender athletes in sports, all these kinds of things. So it's, it's just, it's kind of like the hot topic right now for Republicans. As always, thanks for illuminating the backstory and what's happening in Madison, JR. And thanks for joining us on Capital Notes. Anytime. That was J.R. Ross, editor of WizPolitics.com, speaking with me, WUWM's Mayan Silver. Listen for our segments every Monday with an extended segment on Lake Effect. And check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts.